boys and ghouls, and welcome to a pointed episode. All about the girl who went from pom-poms to a phenomenon. Listen in as we track the development of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, from Joss Whedon's original script to the two-part television premiere that expanded the novelty of a girl fighting evil into a Buffyverse. So join us as we recall Christy Swanson's L.A. girl Buffy, who loves shopping, cheerleading, and boys who don't suck. As well as Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy, as the new girl in Sunnydale High, with a reputation for staying up all night. As she dated the undead, and she destroyed demons, and as she saved the world a lot. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Right. iPads? Well, you know, I have to imagine that, like, I think a lot of younger kids who don't know about phone books maybe aren't collectors like people used to be. They don't have posters? Yeah. Until they can get digital walls, I think they'll still get posters. You know, honestly, when I got posters, I never did that. I mean, I, I had phone books, but I just pinned them on the wall and let them flatten themselves out, oh, which usually works. like a, a flattening phase where I, like, put heavy Fair things enough. on. Katana. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. It's Cat. Marshall. Okay. I don't know what you had for spooky gab, but Oh, I got something. Well, I I want to direct you towards just because I saw something on your Instagram and then I had to like look it up on Wikipedia. some it loosely translates into Witch's Night. Mm. Was that what you were gonna talk about? No. Well, break that one down for me and well, then Well so here's what's interesting, and I don't remember if this made... So, Marshall, if you're, you're listening and, and you don't know, Marshall and I, when we sit down to record this podcast, we'll talk for a good two hours or more, sometimes two and a half. Mm-hmm. And Marshall cuts it down to a lovely around an hour. It's a very difficult job, and he he murders it. <laughs> See what I did there? Murder. Um, so because of that, it's hard for me to remember what has made it in versus well, what we talked about. Even if this didn't make a previous episode, you would have said it to me out loud. Yes. So and I still don't know. Well, probably what you because did. it was in passing. So when we did our werewolf episode, yeah, you might remember me talking about the excised first chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula, entitled Dracula's Guest, that was about a man kind of on the moors by himself. He was being taken in a carriage, and the carriage man wouldn't take him further because he was spooked because it was Walpurgis knocked. Right. Uh, it was it was like a night. 
basically just kind of the veil is thin and the spooks come out kind of a thing. And in the story, this man is like accosted by a werewolf. He survives. It's a whole thing. And is the missing opening chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Exactly. So the other day, I got a text message from Daniel Montgomery. He was texting Matthew and I and saying, my friend's having this party. And I was like, where have I seen this word before? I was like, oh, it's about werewolves, right? And he was like, no, it's like a halfway to Halloween thing. And I was like, oh. Ah. And, I was, and I said, why do I? Like the next day I got texts. Yeah. Just saying like, happy halfway to Halloween. Yeah. And then I see you participated in this so, walrus night? Walpurgis knocked. Walpurgis knocked. And so I was like, why am I associating this with werewolves? And then I Googled it and I was like, oh, that's right. That was what was noted in Dracula's Guest. So it appears like everybody just somehow hopped on the boat this year about this because I saw everyone was talking about it. I, I think it is. And Okay, so you weren't like at a witch's house. No, we went to uh, somebody Daniel knew through a themed party, kind of. And all it was, there were themed treats and like, Looks you like know. A flan? What was that? I don't know. They made it. It was a dessert. It was like wet strawberry shortcake or something. It was meant to kind of look like a beautiful brain and it tasted good, but it was a little soggy. Oh, it wasn't like a traditional Bavarian dish or no, something? No, I think it was. A lot of the food Still they had there was. just looking like a brain. In the way that I have like a jello mold that makes something look like a brain mm -hmm. that's all just like spooky fun totally but this was more just like a traditional like in the country where this is a thing exactly they had these little puff treats too that they were like pastry things that were in the same vein and they they had a drink and they were they had little tiny plastic cauldrons they were pouring them into because by the way trying to read about this it became kind of like a little bit boring and frustrating because there's some saint involved and it's a whole thing. But anyway, the point is that yep. spooky folks like myself and like yourself, we mm. love any new treasure trove of information about something spooky. And so it's just as good a reason as any to be like, oh, hey, we're halfway to Halloween and there is some kind of witches association. And in fact, I haven't gotten to read it yet, but our friend and listener, Melissa, who has a blog called, I think it's called spooky little girl like you.blogspot.com. She wrote a thing about it. I haven't read it yet. It's in my to read queue. But um, I guess if you want to read about Valpurgis Noct, you can go there and actually learn and mm. not listen to me. Well, this time next year, expect Valpurgis Noct cards. Yes. And maybe eventually a movie. Yeah. I went to Monster Palooza. Yes, you did. And I spent a scary amount of money. Oh, that's frightening. For, for me. I know people just come there to spend. Mostly I just came to enjoy, but wound up opening my wallet a few more times what than for? I thought I would. T-shirts, posters, DVDs? Mostly DVDs. How did I know? Yeah. I went to the guy and I was like, what have you got with horror hosts? And he just started like bringing them out. And the best find was something that I'd never heard of because it never actually made it to air. And that is the band The Misfits in 1995 decided they wanted to be horror hosts. And so they shot, I think, like six episodes worth. This was post-Danzig, so Jerry only was sort of the main host. And then, like, the second most charismatic misfit kind of backed him up. And then at the end, the whole band was there and they kind of played out the show. It's them hosting The Crawling Eye. And in the middle, there's an interview with the guy who was in the suit playing the uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's cool. And during the hosting proper, they were like, welcome to the crawling eye. But they brought it down to about a five. 
when interviewing this, this old guy <laughs> who's like, well, I was under contract with Universal, and uh, they came to they me. They can't really go, uh-huh, it's like, go on. Yes. Tell us more. So this was what year now? <laughs> that would be strange. Yeah, and they are, as much as anything else, uh, horror fans. So it's not like, we got to interview this old fart, but you could tell. They're truly I, invested. I believe that they were just like, we get to meet the creature. All right, put your devil lock down. All right, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> So that's one of those things where, like, I never knew it existed. And as soon as I saw it, I had to buy it. Like, wow. like some things you know are out there and you say, like, it's time. It's time I add this to my collection. Just make the commitment. Put a ring on it. Exactly. But other things, it's like, this exists? Follow up. Take my money. Sometimes doesn't discovering things like that make you feel a little bit overwhelmed? Here's what I mean. When I In the find... same way, it makes you feel good because the reaction is... What else is out yes, there? Yes, To me, it's a double-edged sword because whether it's a video on the internet or a DVD or whatever, when I find something that's that amazing and new to me... And that unknown. And that unknown. And that in this day and age, you think that everything that's possible, you think everything's just on the internet. You think everything's just oh, out there. It turns out some portions of this was on the internet. But who knew to, to Google exactly. this fits horror host? Exactly. And, and so at the end of the day, you go like, not enough hours, can't watch everything I want to watch, can't learn everything I want to learn. And it becomes kind of like, I get a little paralyzed. It's, it's overwhelming. But that is so cool that you found that. Yeah. I just met this girl named Buffy. I'm Pike. Pike isn't a name. It's a fish. I liked her, even though she seemed kind of flaky. But as it turns out... You have been chosen, Buffy. To do what? To stop the vampires. And things started getting weird around here. Are we having a nightmare? You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Stab him in the heart! Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah, ah. Paul Rubens. Ah. With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Oh. Yes, I am. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. You didn't even break a nail. Marshall, mm. I am so excited about our topic this month. I figured you would be. You thought of it. It was your idea. And I, if but, I could have reached my arms through the phone and hugged you, I would have. Because it made me that excited. I figured you have brought up, not Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show. But you brought that up a few times. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the 1992 film. Mm -hmm. Enough times. When, I have? When discussing topics that have nothing to do. <laughs> with I love it. that you've noticed that. And because it's like a touchstone with you. It like, really is. I think is. it got to you young enough that other things have grown out of that like, Absolutely. That Buffy, played by actress Christy Swanson, discovers she is the latest in a long line of girls chosen by fate to slay vampires. So if you haven't guessed by now, from what we just said, we are covering the 1992 film Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the pilot of the television show on this episode of Boys and Ghouls. Which you can look at as one creative journey. Totally. From Joss Whedon's original screenplay through its adaptation by a different director... From him, he never lost the property. So about five years later, someone said, let's try it as a TV show. And 
he got on board and got to get that tone that mm-hmm. he was, I'm going to say, trying to convey through the screenplay. The 1992 film was such a big deal for me. And you love both. I love both. And by the way, the show went on to become probably the single most important pop culture thing in my life as a young person. But for me, the film was the first thing that really got in there and showed me a female hero who could be cute and smart and funny and self-deprecating and go through a journey and find her strength and kick ass and all of those great things that the show did in a different way. I don't want to say better because, yeah, the show did it better, but I don't want to disparage the film. It had more chances to do it better. Absolutely. So for me... While I think there is a large contingency of Buffy fans who try to pretend like the movie doesn't exist, I am not one of those people. I don't just tolerate the movie. I actually actively love the movie. I think it's wonderful. You celebrate it. I celebrate it. Let's do a timeline here. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, Joss Whedon, who, for those who don't know, wrote the original screenplay when he was a writer and then directed and show ran The Buffy Show some five years later. Mm-hmm. Whereas the movie wasn't really a big hit. It made its mark and then just kind of moved on. But when the show came out, everyone remembered that it was a movie. Right. I think. You know, even if you weren't the biggest fan, you were like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Because it was so unique. And I think a lot of people who were fans of the show in the early days had to do a little convincing towards other people and go like, they're like, you want me to watch this thing that was based on that movie that, what, I mean, I barely remember. And it's like, no, you have to just watch it. It's amazing. But it's not like, uh, this is going back several more years, but there were like three undersea movies that kind of came out at once. There was like, was that Leviathan or was that Deep Star Six? (laughs) No, that was The Abyss. Okay, The Abyss, and then Leviathan, and then, you know, and they could get mixed up in your brain, but you couldn't mix up Buffy the Vampire Slayer with any other movie. Right. It's a pretty unique concept. Like it or not, or just be lukewarm about it, or never even see it, it still stands alone. Let me get this straight, okay? You want me to go to the graveyard with you because I'm the chosen one and there are vampires? Yes. Does Elvis talk to you? So, how old were you... Not when it came out, but when you actually saw it. Did did you get that one-year drag to wait for it to come to cable? Or I probably caught it on cable as like a nine or ten-year-old. So while he wasn't crazy about the light comedic tone, Joss wasn't crazy about the tone it took, um, you were 12 then. I was eight when the movie came out. I was probably ten when I saw it. Okay. So I was 13. I was the perfect age when the show started. See? Something like that. On a larger scale... Although there's dissatisfaction on his part with the film and its tone. It got you when you were a kid and it got you ready for the series I when you were a teen. I think that's fair. Yeah. Because though Joss didn't really like the lighter comedic, you know, he didn't feel like the film captured the tone of what he wrote. For me, Buffy taught me like this great lesson about horror and comedy the Buffy the movie taught me this great lesson about what a film could be how there could be something that had really dark themes but could also be like funny and lighthearted, and the fact that those things could exist together and the weird jargony language that's like very specific and you don't know exactly what they're saying you know the whole conversation the girls are having in the movie about going to the movies bogus corn the usher the the, Mm. it's totally stale and the ushers are like the acne patrol just the language of that film, it really made an impression on me. I'm like, you can play with words that way and, like, make up your own words and phrases? Like, what? Which is a huge deal when you're learning how to, like, exist and form your identity in the world. That is so 
Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Personally, I was high school age when it came out. It was cool, you know. You saw it. Uh, on cable. I mean, it came on and you were like, I'm going to watch. Did you watch the whole thing on cable? Yeah. I'm just trying to get at, like, for me, I can understand what drew me in. which For, for, was like, for an older teenager? No, just in, a boy. A boy. And a really, boy. Really, is what I'm getting at. What I, I think was... Um, was it Pretty Girls and, 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 and Vampires? No, which, by the way, that, that's what we were accused of when we started watching the series. When, like, all us guys would get together to watch the series. One particular gal was like... You just like the pretty girls. And I was like, no, we have Baywatch for that. <sighs> I didn't this know you got together with a group else. of guys to watch the TV series. We'll get there. I'm oh, I'm sure. overwhelmed right now. This is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it would it would come and go, you know, depending on schedule and, sure. and all that. The movie, it uh, didn't draw us in with Luke Perry, <laughs> which was its own coup, I think, because he was hot, hot, hot. He was. At the time. Yeah, it was a big deal for them to get him for the movie. To get the 90210 Luke Perry. And I think maybe certain parts of Pike in the movie might have been increased because of that. And definitely in the advertising. Mm. You know, you got to get him yeah. in there. Because Christy Swanson, I don't think had really done much big you know, before that. And I think that every time they have a female action star, uh, we come for the action. Mm -hmm. And like every action movie that stars a guy, with little exception, would sandwich in a pretty girl. I refer to like Under Siege. I hate being alone. Do you hate being dead? Guys attacking a ship full of guys, and it's all guys, and they still manage to get a pretty girl in there. <laughs> and it's all the same to us if you give her a gun and let her do the fighting. It's almost a time saver. <laughs> same for uh, when the Tomb Raider films came out. You know, and, and every time the newspapers are like, a girl action hero? And this conversation's been going on since at least Alien. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a conversation just gets had over and over and over. Sure. By the way, the famous Joss Whedon quote about that is, mm -hmm. you know, people over the years at this point now for decades have been asking him, why do you write strong female characters? And his answer is because I keep getting asked that question because it has to be a question because we, we're still talking about it. That's why. Actor Luke Perry makes his major motion picture debut starring as the rebel Pike. I play Pike, and Pike is the damsel in distress in the movie. So we've done, we done the big role reversal thing, and, and Swanson's the hero. The first time I had heard that there would be a TV series based on this movie that was, all right, was in the very first issue of Fangoria I ever purchased. I think I was going to be taking, like, a long bus ride, and I was like, no, better get something to read. And you're like, magazine plus horror? Fang I should pick one of these up. And within the pages of Fangoria was coming soon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series. So it immediately had legitimacy for me as something that was, like, kind of scary. Wor like, and worthy of your attention because Fangoria is telling you yeah. about it. I was like, well, if Fangoria thinks it's going to be cool. And plus there were photos in it, and you could already tell it was a little darker than the movie, which was kind of light. Well, even the movie I mean, poster just, just the is, like, colors. A, the movie poster is an all-white background, and, yeah. she, and they're in, like, bright 90s colors. Well, she is. She is. You know, yeah, I guess he's a little grungy. Th that's their difference. Yeah. And then that's her arc. Uh-huh. You notice that her like once change. she starts getting into it, she wears like a flannel shirt and jean shorts. Mm -hmm. But still. And maybe like... she's tying the flannel shirt around her waist like a cool grungy gal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like a cool grungy gal. Grunge. Wow. What a new look. 
I know flannel is so over, but I can never tell what's coming next. Should we get to the screenplay? Yeah, let's. And I do want to say, as a caveat, we're going to discuss a screenplay that is easily found if you Google original Joss Whedon script. Scary for fast. Buffy. You find it really quickly. But I'm not 100% sure this is actually his original script because it's so very almost identical to the movie that I think this might have been an earlier version of the studio revision script. Just as a, I just want that disclaimer. We can't be a hundred percent sure that the script that Marshall and I read was actually just. There is one particular discrepancy which makes me wonder. Just one. That feels just like I'm thinking about the dressing room scene. Is that the one you're thinking about? Yeah, that could still be fun. But I'm just saying, I feel like that could. Yeah, well, I'll I'll see your dressing room scene, Mm -hmm. and I'll counter you, Merrick shooting himself. Absolutely, yes. So if this was a studio rewrite, that would have already been gone. Yeah. Okay. If you ask me. So choose your own adventure, folks. This is either Joss Whedon's original and script or not. That would have been a, a more straight parody of Pretty Woman. Huh? Changing Room. Oh, Changing Room. I thought you were talking about the suicide. No, less so. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, where's there? I, I was like, I've seen Pretty Woman a lot of times. Um, Sure. Yeah, yeah th- I get that. Pretty a, Woman was 90, I think. Roundabouts? Oh, yeah. Oh! <laughs> So Marshall and I read this script and uh, it was a lot of fun. And there were a couple of things about it that were just slightly different. And I'm trying to figure what was supposed to be done with this script that would have made it so much darker and edgier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just you'd have to know that going in. Like the jokes are still there. Yes, they are. And I think that's what made me go like, how is this really completely different? But I I think if you were to take the Scream script which came out five years later. Four years. A scant four years later Mm -hmm. and became a game changer. Directors other than Wes Craven had pitched their ideas and they read the same material but saw it as a more straightforward comedy because the jokes were on the page. Mm -hmm. You put jokes on the page, people can just read it as a comedy. That's a great point. And while Buffy was capable of being darker, we now know, I don't think Joss Whedon necessarily was able to communicate that Right, onto the or page. they just weren't able, or either he wasn't able to communicate it onto the page, or there was really no one around him who was picking up what he was putting down, or as that, it were. Or that wanted to take it that way, right. perhaps. Maybe they just felt like it wasn't commercially yeah. viable that way. It's like, listen, i got to put butts in the seats. Yeah. So uh, I want a pretty girl and a handsome guy and bright colors and a groovy soundtrack. Right. And uh, One plus one plus one equals three. Like, this is how you do it. Yeah. The jokes are there. And some scarier parts were also expensive parts, mm-hmm. I think. So you're cutting down the budget. You're also taking out the pool of blood. The pool of blood. I also, one of the things that I was like, holy shit. There's, I forget who's being killed at this point. I just wrote down a quote from the script, which was, he pulls her head back swiftly, snapping her spine as her head hits the back of her legs. Okay. That's dark. That is dark, and that would be a perfectly good way to convey that you want it dark. Yeah. How do you like my darkness now? Uh, Joss Whedon, young man, television writer, third generation television writer. He was writing for Roseanne, mm-hmm. but wasn't really given a ton to do on the show. And while he was doing that, he wrote the Buffy the Vampire Slayer screenplay. Shopped it around. It was a tough one for people to wrap their heads around. And the company that wound up buying it, it's like a shell dollar, I believe. The doll part is because it is Dolly Parton's company. What? 
somewhere in the story of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is Dolly Parton. Wow. Yeah. They were the ones who took it and championed it and got it to the director and then got it to Fox and, you know, from there. So, yeah. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Yeah. And people say she's just a big pair of tits. And in writing the script, Joss Whedon has said he was inspired by, he name checks PJ Souls. Really? Yeah. Who, you know, is the blonde girl who dies in Halloween. Totally. 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 And he has like a pitch, which never completely beat for beat ever got done, but variations on it echo throughout the projects, which is the idea of like a blonde girl going into an alley all alone, very horror movie like, and then you see a vampire and then you don't really see the fight, but then, you know, blonde girl comes out like with his head or just victorious Mm -hmm. or they do fight and she's kicking ass. Mm-hmm. You get echoes of that really throughout in the original script, right from go, but it's set in the Dark Ages. And what wound up being in the movie just like some dialogue. Mm-hmm. In the original script was a knight coming to a town during the Dark Ages and encountering a vampire and then being saved by the barmaid mm-hmm. because she's a slayer. He walks in and says, some plague we're having, huh? Right. Oh, Joss. And then later when she's training, she does go into an alley. And she's like, feeling all alone. Yep. And then she is attacked and she does win. And then her watcher, Merrick, played by Donald Sutherland, Buffy in the movie being Christy Swanson, uh, comes out and he's like, oh, 90 seconds. You have to be faster. Right. Yeah, so it was all like a training exercise. And then I'm just going to leap over to the series for a second. The first one of the two, the Welcome to Hellmouth. Okay. Well... This is what got me on board. Like, I was like, oh, this is a fine show. Worthy of my time. Mm-hmm. But what really, like, the next day when I was talking about it, I was like, there's a scene, okay, so this guy goes into an alley. Just a guy, because we didn't know Angel was a vampire for, like, six more shows, turns out. So this guy goes into an alley, and it's like, where'd she go? And then the camera goes up, and she is, and I would, like, demonstrate to them on my fingers, just sort of showing them, like, there's this bar running You were talking to who? Friends and acquaintances. Okay, uh uh-huh. Anybody who would listen. Okay. There's like a bar going across the alley, like some 20 feet up. And she's not hanging from it. She's like supporting her weight. She's like handstanding on it. Handstanding on it in like a straight line. So she can also see him beneath her. And it just this one shot goes up, up, up. Where is she? She's not hanging. She's not on a rooftop. She's doing a handstand on a pole. Just hanging out, waiting for this guy to... Get in position so she can flip down and knock him down. Mm-hmm. That was a great, great moment for any show. Yeah, and that definitely. really, that really brought me back for more. By day, this girl's an average high school cheerleader. By night, she's the vampire slayer. So, in the original script, she's less of a character than she would later become. She was a character, you know, mm-hmm. she had an arc, but it was more of a concept that was getting explored. It was the original concept being played out in different ways, which was the hero being the type of person who's normally the victim. Yeah, Joss has said that his initial idea for the character of Buffy just came from, like, I wanted to give the blonde girl who's always getting killed in a horror movie or whatever to have a chance to bite back, to be a fighter and to upend expectations. To win. Yeah. Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel... 
Less than fresh. I also learned the name of the Paul Rubens character in the script that I never... I mean, I guess he's credited as Amelin or whatever yeah, in the movie, probably in the movie credits, but I never paid attention to that. They just call him Lefty because of his his arm. <laughs> he gets his right arm cut off. But in the script, he's got a name. So there's that. I also love how in the script, there are a couple of cultural references that you can tell where, like, you know, he's writing them and they're super relevant while he's writing them. So one of the most famous lines from the movie is... Yeah, I don't want to be the chosen one. I don't want to spend the rest of my life chasing after vampires. All I want to do, I'm looking straight at Marshall right now. I'm not reading this off of anything. All I want to do is graduate from high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die. Um, In the script, it was Charlie Sheen, not Christian Slater. I also love how, this is one of my favorite jokes in the script that's not in. Both were in the Young Guns series. They were part of that generation of hunks. So this is one of my favorite jokes that's in the script that's not in the movie, is Lothos, the vampire king, he's giving, like, a dark speech. And a lot of the... This is, like, very dark to me. He says, I have conversed with the worms that fed on my corpse. He's saying all this really dark shit. And Buffy says, have you ever thrown up in the front row of a Richard Marks concert? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, to me, Richard Marks is very dated, you know? Yes. Um, but I do love the spirit of that line. I think it's really funny. Because it's counteracting... Something that's supposed to be so dark and serious with like, oh yeah, quippy quip quip, which is just my favorite thing. I couldn't bring myself to say I was making a film called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And just differences between the script and what wound up happening. A lot with the Merrick character. The Merrick character is her watcher. Yeah. I already knew going into it that Donald Sutherland wasn't really on board and wound up changing a lot of things, so I went into it with an eye for that. The screenplay does set up for a whole universe and does it really well, and it's basically what would later become in the series, which is like, he was already watcher for like three other girls because as soon as one dies, another one becomes the Slayer. Mm-hmm. So he'd been watcher for three Slayers. It seems like a multi-generational thing. He's from England near Stonehenge, where, like, I guess his father also did it. So there's this, like, this whole organization that's out there somewhere. For a Buffyverse, that's great. For something that would have, like, seven seasons and comic books, that works way better. For a self-contained movie, for just that character of Merrick, and you never see any other Watchers, you wouldn't have in the script either. For just that character, the concept of the lonely soul who keeps getting reincarnated, which, since it wasn't in the script and they say he changed things, I have to assume this is a Donald Sutherland invention. The speech he gives about wanting to have been a bootmaker. Yeah, a job. I would have loved to have a job. That's like, oh, a job. Uh Uh-huh. It's a a great scene and really works for that character in that movie. It's one of my favorite scenes. I think. So, yeah, he did disregard the script. And, yeah, he did disregard the concepts, which would have helped create a larger world, which you could continue to revisit for that role for that movie i think it went the better way being like the guy who's like oh i i suppose eventually i'll I'll get to go to heaven yeah and then she gets to say how she wants to be a buyer Mm -hmm. and i always like that moment yeah just like two people with these grand destinies who would prefer just these pedestrian jobs right Despite the fact that, like you said, it seems perhaps like some improvisation, whatever, potentially, because it's not in the script that Joss wrote, maybe. Um, 
is interesting because that concept of wanting to be something other than you are, wanting to not have all those responsibilities, wanting just to kind of lead a normal life, mm-hmm. is such a theme of Buffy, the that TV series, where, yeah, she, you know, they're, they're especially, I guess it's season four when her mom has died and she's like trying to take care of all the household responsibilities and but also just like the weight of the world constantly on her shoulders literally where Mm. she's got to save the world over and over again and she's got her sister to take care of and she's got to save all her friends and i feel like buffy has a lot of speeches over the course of the series where she's like i i I just want to go to a dance yes sure Okay. And in the high school years, that manifests itself certainly in like, I just want to do the things that normal kids are doing. I mean, that's her thing in the pilot. Giles plunks down the that, vampire true. book and she's like, I'm not looking for that. I don't want to do that. She basically has run away from her old school, but she can't escape her destiny, can she? Oh, why can't you people just leave me alone? Because you are the slayer. And to each generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one, one born with a strength and skill to hunt the vampires, to stop the spread of their evil, blah, blah, blah. One thing about the movie that I never paid attention to, Cassandra, uh, her friend, Natasha Gregson Wagner, is Natalie Wood's daughter, and I never knew that. Okay. At least I don't think I did. And you look at her, and it makes perfect sense. She's got those looks? She does look like Natalie Wood, but I was like, What? And speaking of her friends, which also included Hilary Swank. Indeed. Her frenemies, as it sort of develops, there's a bit with a yellow leather jacket Mm. that was not in the original script, Mm -hmm. which just sort of helps chart that, like, her friends might not really be her friends. She might be able to do better in this world than what she's already been doing. Yeah. And that stuff with the yellow leather jacket is towards the beginning of the movie when... She admires it. Her friend's like, it's so dated. Yeah, so five minutes ago. Right. And then she sees her friend wearing it. and Later in the movie. I thought you said it was so five minutes ago. It's retro. (laughs) God. All right. Uh, And then she lends it to the girl and the girl dies. Mm. So it's just like this sort of running thing. Sure. And when the character dies, was that Cassandra? Yeah. The dies, one person goes, oh, you're not going to get your jacket back. Like, they mourn the jacket more than they mourn their friend. Yes. This is soft suede. This may be the most perfect jacket I have ever put on. I would get so excited when I would pop in my VHS tape of the movie because it's... A voiceover? It opens with the voiceover that's similar to the, like, opening of the show of each, you know, into every generation, whatever. Was that... Eventually, I think they knocked it off. Yeah. But yeah, they'll be like, in the early into seasons, every generation, yeah. a slayer is born, and right. that slayer has to slay. So there's something similar to that, yes. That slayer has to slay at the beginning of the movie. And it's a very brief moment where, and it says the Dark Ages, and it's like, she who bears the mark, the mark of the coven, she's the slayer. And she has a stake. You know, it's, it's Christy Swanson as like a Renaissance era, like... It's supposed to be the Dark Ages, but she looks like a Maid Mary, and it's, it doesn't... It looks like a Ren Fair. She does, but she has a stake, and she thrusts it upward as like a, yeah, I'm the Slayer, and then it turns into a shot of a pom-pom thrusting right. up into the air, and then we're treated to an extended dance sequence at like halftime at the basketball game to like a CNC Music Factory song, and I stood in front of my tape and for hours to learn this dance as a kid. Now, you were a cheerleader. Not yet. Not when I first saw this. 
Okay. No, but maybe that's part of the reason I became... I was only a cheerleader in middle school, but this was before I was a cheerleader, so I aspired to be as cool as they were with their shiny spandex leggings and their cool dancing and how she was, like, flirting with her boyfriend with her eyes and... Him in his Letterman jacket. Yeah. Now, just to bring home the novelty that was Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the movie of, like, the girl fighting vampires, visually, that was really brought home in her fighting vampires in her cheerleader outfit. Yes. And then she also fights them in a prom dress, and then, for no good reason besides it looks awesome, Pike, Luke Perry, gives her a leather jacket. Mm -hmm. So then it's like prom dress plus leather jacket fighting vampires just because it looks awesome it looks awesome and on that leather jacket tip though i have a personal anecdote which is this is how important this movie is to me um i love the movie so much and years and years ago i was talking to matthew montgomery matthew scott i told him how much i love that movie and we share a mutual love for the soundtrack and that toad the wet sprocket song little heaven which is playing when buffy and pike dance At my wedding, yeah, Matthew went out of his way to request that song from the DJ. And, you know, in the movie, the song starts playing and Luke Perry comes up behind her and gives her the fake flower. He has shaved his soul patch. Yeah. That's his art. That's his real change. But Matthew brought over a leather jacket he had brought for the occasion and put a leather jacket around my shoulders and we slow danced to that song. That part I didn't know. I was there at the DJ when he's, like, giving him his iPhone so he can play that song. I have a video of it. Someone filmed it and it's one of the most like... In that case, in the video, you might see me just going, oh, what's going on here? (laughs) Maybe. But you know that... Does anybody need this cake? Yeah. I'm going to eat this cake. That was Yeah, so presumably he brought the leather jacket just for that moment. He did. Awesome. Yeah. When reading through all the trivia about the movie and, like, just general facts about the movie, mm-hmm. I never paid attention. Like, all he ever says is, I'm Pike. And she makes a joke, Pike isn't a name, it's a fish. Which is so funny because her name's Buffy. Like, she has any room to be making fun of anyone. Right. But in reading through, like, IMDb, just combing it for stuff I didn't know, mm-hmm. his name is Oliver Pike. Oh, Pike's his last name. Pike's his last name? Well, also, uh, the movie never says Buffy's last name. No, it does not. And it doesn't give her mom any more description than Buffy's mom. It was played by Candy Clark, Mm -hmm. who you might know from different projects, but I think for the purpose of like casting in this movie, she was the ultimate ditzy blonde in American Graffiti. And I bet you're smart enough to get us some brew. I heard that at first they didn't want to show Buffy's mom in the show Mm. because by and large, uh, parents in the show really take a back seat. And that's not just a story way to get them like out of the way and just show like the kids world. Like like they do that in fast times at Ridgemont high. It's a nearly parentless adultless world, Mm -hmm. but that was more just a way of telling the story in Buffy, the vampire slayer, the movie. It was more about, this is what your kids get up to when you're self-obsessed. When the mom's like, 
do you know what time it is? And she thinks she's busted for being late. She's, she's like, like, around 10. And then the mom just goes, darn watch. Yeah. You know, and they leave and they're just like, stay away from the Jag. Do you think that comes off the heels of like the excess of the 80s and these people are people who were making their money in the 80s and becoming really consumerist? I mean, it's also centered around and taking place in Los Angeles, which is. Yes, I think there's a line in L.A. thing. And there's a line in the script that Lothos, he's talking about, like how it's the center of commercialism and corruption and how Los Angeles is a great place for him to start his vampiric empire or something. And Merrick has a line that says, usually when vampires start killing this many people and young people that people start lining up with torches like it starts to get mobs with torches but for some reason no one seemed to notice and i think coming out of the 80s it was a real me decade and i think they're really taking a shot at self-obsession and then what happens when parents are self-obsessed now a few short years later it's time for buffy the vampire slayer the series they were going to take the same tact Mm. but instead who's the fourth character you meet it's the mom and she's so great and what a gift and i'm so glad they went down that track sure so there's a change there's a development in just a few short years i'm not saying that in the 90s we all of a sudden stopped being shallow Mm -hmm. but i heard just shift speak about it where he said he didn't want to demonize the parents but it's just easier when you want you know it's like what's she doing well she's running around training with this guy and hunting vampires well where's her parents um they're shallow Mm. shallow parents right Moving on. Right. Whereas in the show, it became a really cool push and pull of like her trying to hide it from her mom until her mom eventually found out and yeah. then w- how her mom didn't like it and wanted to like save her from it. And she has to be the parent. And there's like a whole wealth of story and character. Yeah. And just for there. the pilot, just for I think this was in Harvest, uh, part two of the pilot, where they get out the good like, I know when you're 16, it feels like everything's the end of the world. <laughs> And, in this case, and parents don't understand anything. It could be the end of the world. It's like, everything seems so important. And if I've noticed anything, like, as I look back to adolescence, it's like, yeah, everything seems so important. And one of the things that is explored in the movie and what Buffy says in the movie, something about things that seemed crucial suddenly don't seem important anymore. She's talking about the thing that we all go through as teenagers or or as people growing up out of adolescence, realizing that like those things that felt like the end of the world, like there are real problems on the horizon. And that's not to say that, you know, pain is relative. Struggles are relative. And you have to go through that stuff as a teenager to sort of like form your personality and get there. But it is amazing how fast after high school, high school things seem like, why was I so worked up? And there's a moment, or at least a kind of a span of time, where you wake up to that. And I think that they're embodying that, but in the movie, it's a metaphor is like, it's vampires, you know? She's like, whoa, the world is much bigger than just me and my, you know, polka dot dress and cute outfits and the dance. She still goes to the dance. She does go to the dance. All I know is I really want to go to this dance, and I want someone to go with me. And then, with your Toe the Wet Sprocket song, who comes in, Pike... Oliver Pike. He may not be the hero of the film, but he's the hero of the moment. Sure. He's romantic. And then, I think after everything's done, they continue to dance in a moment which, uh, it's a little on the nose, but I like it, which is they've now killed many a vampire. They've Mm. killed the head vampire. Mm. And they go to dance, and they talk about who's going to lead. Yeah. Gender roles! Yes. And she's like, I don't care. Or she, I forget what her reply is, but it's like, it doesn't matter. And then I was like, well, how are they going to dance with nobody leading? Are they just going to like hug dance? Sure. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah, you can do that. You can. 
Yeah, in a movie that's about a flipping of standard gender roles slash movie gender roles, which helps inform us from a very young age, it goes out on a... Uh, actually, it, it sort of feels like, well, we've solved it now, haven't we? Right. We've fixed gender roles. You're welcome. Right. right. Dancing without a leader. Well, this has been Buffy the Vampire We've Slayer. fixed gender roles in the sense that if you've got a slayer who's really tough, then the guy she's with will be like, the I'm guy confused about who leads. I mean, you know. She's got to have superpowers. All he needs is a motorcycle. Right. Well, I'm trying to think about the moments that I feel like were really teachable moments for me and really spoke to me as a young person watching the movie. And I think part of it is the, the conversation that you said, she still goes to the dance. Like she decides not to or whatever. And then well, she's she like, I'm she's going to meet her boyfriend. Right. But what I'm getting at is there was a moment of where she like probably wasn't going to go to the dance. And then she decides to go out shopping because she wants a little bit of normalcy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she has this conversation with Pike, with Luke Perry, where she's. He's like, what are you doing? You're going shopping? Like, you're the guy. You're the chosen guy. And she's like, I don't want to be the chosen one. You know, I don't want... And what I'm getting at is, for me, watching a guy be like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be tough. You have to save us. Don't be concentrating on frivolous things. And I think that taught me something and gave me some permission as a person who was kind of a preteen when I first watched it. Of like, wow, like, it's actually cool to, like eschew that if that's the word to throw that you probably didn't use at the time no not at all to throw off the idea of like oh i have to be pretty and dress up for all the boys all the time like i would lie in my bed at night and wish that i had a cool like burden like being a vampire slayer do you know what i mean like sure. i wanted to be that important and tough and cool and save the world and like be the one who people looked to like i thought that was the coolest thing you could be because buffy the movie and Buffy the character were so cool. And this is before the show even. And the show only like deepened and reinforced that. But yeah, gender roles. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a good hour and a half watching it. Cat got transformed. All the world is waiting for you. And the power you possess. In your satin tights. Fighting for your rights. Yeah, she wasn't the first or the last powerful woman or action hero woman. But she was mine. She was yours, and you shouldn't have had to research for a kick-ass woman to look up to. Right. It's like, yeah, they already existed, but what are you going to have to do? Like, go through the video store to get the five or six ones that have... um, I mean, there's a few. I mean, if you go into, like, the ninja series, there was that one... (laughs) His soul possesses the body of an innocent woman and transforms her into a lethal assassin. Yeah, I wasn't doing that then. I was turning on the TV and being like, oh, cool, this looks cool. Just like a boy could just turn on the TV and find the action hero to connect with fairly quickly and fairly easily. Right, because it's all the movies versus the handful at that time. it's, It's like, no, Buffy may not have been the first. And anything come out soon? Wonder Woman. Sure. Also isn't the first, but the conversation keeps getting renewed. Yes. Like with Ghostbusters. Like with Ghostbusters before. And because it should be as easy as turning on the TV instead of having to either wait for the new thing or dig for the old thing. So well said for that time, 1992, you could just turn on the TV. And then for the series, you could turn on the TV once a week. Yeah. And with that, let's get into... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 1997. 97. 97. 
assume right here I put in. Oh, gosh. That theme song by Nerf Herder. He didn't have, Joss Whedon, didn't have a burning desire to make Buffy the Vampire Slayer the show after the movie. He, he just went on to other projects, including being one of the writers for the original Toy Story, script doctoring, did a lot for Speed. Yeah, this is the first time I heard about Speed. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then, again, I think it, it came from Dolly Parton's company. One of the executives there said, we're not seeing a lot of uh, things for girls on TV. Maybe a Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. And she was thinking more, what was used was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And I think what that meant is like something for sort of Saturday afternoon, something to like balance out Saved by the Bell, perhaps. Mm. You know, you'd be like, Saved by the Bell, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer is here to slay some vampires on Saturday afternoons. But then introduced with the idea, Joss Whedon went, yeah, yeah. As if we needed more reasons to be thankful for Dolly Parton. She's in there somewhere. I mean, she's not in any of the special features. No, but I'll bet you if you asked her, she'd be like, oh, was my company responsible for that? Well, that sounds wonderful. She sounds like a nice girl, that Buffy. Look at my poor neck. All bare and tender and exposed. All that blood just pumping away. Oh, please. Giles, make us stop. I am so charmed, Marshall, by, I just want to bring it up again, by mm -hmm. the fact that you just said earlier in our conversation that you would get together with friends. Oh, sure. And watch this show, because I didn't, I had a girlfriend, one of my girlfriends who would watch horror well, movies with we, me we at sleepovers, but I didn't watch Buffy with anybody else, I don't think, we, except for my mom. We had the mobility to go to each other's homes and control over our own televisions. I just love it. That's so cool. I think that shows the universality of the show and the themes and just how compelling it was. I mean, yeah, if you're a young girl watching it, it's like the end all be all. It's everything. Or just a young younger person in general, but especially a young girl. Yeah. We, but we weren't really for you guys. Empowered by it particularly. No, but I love that you were into it. That's so fun. Yeah. Now I did like I left college and then my schedule changed. Got a job and an internship and I sort of fell off of Buffy. But my friend was still really into it. And he was dating my cousin at the time. They now have three lovely children. But he had tasked my cousin with recording Buffy that night. She had neglected to. Oh, no. And then called my mom and tried to talk her through it. That's that's not even happening. Uh, as as wow. far as, like, like, instructing my mom on, yeah. on, like, a foreign VCR. So my mom came to me, and she's like, Your cousin needs to record Buffy the what? Vampire Slayer, can you do this? So I'm like, no prop. So I had already kind of fallen off the wagon. I really wasn't keeping up with Buffy in particular. And so I put it in, and I was making sure it recorded. And I was like, oh, just watch this episode. What's it going on here? And it was the Hush episode. Oh, my God. And I had to go out. I was like, well, I'm taping it. The one and so only Emmy award-winning episode of Buffy. I came back. I watched the rest of the Hush episode. I probably watched it again. I gave him the tape, and I was like, oh, man. And then I was back on, like, Buffy. Cute. After that. Yeah. Cute. What a great episode. But yeah, for a while, we would we would gather and, and watch, uh, watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Thank you.
That reminds me of, of a little anecdote that I read this year because this year marked the 20th anniversary of the premiere of Buffy. Yeah. And similar to that story, someone wrote kind of a love letter to Buffy, the TV series, saying that they met their best friend because when they were in school, they were the only person they knew who watched Buffy and they would tape it and something went wrong with the tape. It didn't tape. And she came into school the next day. I might have been a guy who, who wrote. The, I forget. Okay. But I think it was a girl. Um. She comes into school the next day and she's so upset and a friend of hers is like, what's wrong? She's like, oh, Buffy didn't tape last night. And the someone overheard her talking and said, oh, that girl, whatever her name is, in my whatever class, she I think she watches that show. Like, it was, and she was the like, there's... weird, quiet girl. Exactly. And she's like, someone else? And, you know, approached that person in home ec or whatever and was like, um, is there any way, can you... And the person was like, yeah, sure, come on over to after school and we'll watch it. And then, like, a lifelong friendship was born. Uh, and how charming is that? That's all. That was really sweet. That's the best friend's job. So researching for this podcast was the first time you had ever watched the 20 to 30 minute proof of concept, the original sort yes. of pseudo pilot of a Buffy kind the of Vampire abbreviated Slayer. version of what would become the pilot. Mm -hmm. But better than anything, it helped set the tone that Joss Whedon wanted that wasn't in the movie. Mm -hmm. Visually darker yeah. from Go, which I think is important. And just the way it's filmed, the musical cues, the actor's treatment of the material in the moment, mm -hmm. being able to balance comedy and drama. You can really. kind of see, it gives you a good understanding of what happens when that when that's not being done super well, like the original Willow, Riff Regan or whatever her name is, mm -hmm. how she kind of tonally wasn't quite there, you can tell. I mean, she's doing her best, but I felt like she was really kind of meek and kind of one note. We, we knew it could be done better because we'd seen it better. I know. You're right. And we Allison do have Hannigan. that benefit. Yeah. We, we have the benefit of seven seasons. It's true. Interesting, though. And and it's on YouTube if you want to watch it and you've never watched it. It's totally worth a watch. It's also, so fun. Again, that vision, the initial vision of what you wanted the property to be came through in like a guy and a girl coming to the school at night. And the guy's kind of bad and the girl's a little, I don't know if I should be here. And even more in that proof of concept, in the show, they just make it into the hallway, which turned out to be like their only, the school was like one hallway long for like 12 episodes. Yeah, that's all they had of the school was the hallway. Yeah. You know, if they turned the corner and went to another hallway, it was the same hallway. Mm -hmm. In the proof of concept, they go onto the stage, the auditorium where like plays are done. Yeah. And the guy's just kind of messing around and he pulls the lever, the trap door drops and she's a little hey i could have gotten hurt and then switcheroo she's the monster yeah she's the vampire and that was julie benz yeah who was supposed to die in the proof of concept willow gets her with a cross and then supposed to die again when they made the pilot but instead they were like you know what she's she's good so um what did you say your name was darla darla uh darla is her character name and I think they were looking ahead to the Angel's reveal and wanted someone to like be, I don't know, like his ex-girlfriend vampire. So they kept her alive for that. And I do enjoy those stories of just like people who were supposed to be brought in just for a little bit or a couple of scenes or a three episode arc. And they realize like we've got something special. Yeah. In this Julie Benz. Let's, yes. Uh, let's keep her on the call sheet. He's got two little, little holes in his neck and all his blood's been drained. Isn't that bizarre? Aren't you just going, ooh? I was afraid of this. Well, I wasn't. It's my first day. 
I was afraid that I was going to be behind in all my classes, that I wouldn't make any friends, that I would have last month's hair. I didn't think there'd be vampires on campus. So what's great about the show, among other things, is that it was going to give Joss Whedon the opportunity, more so than just a one-off movie, to really explore the, like, horrors of high school as real horrors, as, like... Yeah. Demonic, literal horrors, which is so cool. And I feel like the pilot does a great job of setting that up for us for what would be a TV show that would just kind of like continue yeah. to flesh that out. He got to get his original concept of what watchers are back mm -hmm. using Mr. Anthony Head, who previously Americans knew him, I guess, if you were of a certain age, through a series of coffee commercials mm -hmm. of like the, the couple. I guess it sort of served as like a mini soap opera. If you were following the Right, it continued. Will Goldblum be too good for your guests? Oh, I think they could get used to it. It's a very sophisticated coffee. They have very sophisticated taste. Do they? Yes. Also, it's so weird to me to hear behind the scenes stuff, hear everybody call him Tony. Everybody right. calls him Tony. I've been watching some stuff and he's talking about Nikki. And I'm like, who's Nikki? That's Nicholas he's referring Brendan. To yeah. Nicholas Brendan. Who, playing Xander, one of the best episodes, and I, I know it. It wouldn't mean much to people if it was their first episode. The Zeppo. The Zeppo. It's the best. It's one of my favorites. I rewatch that all the time. And it's where he sets off on his own and has his own adventure. Meanwhile, there's literally like the Hellmouth opens up. Buffy and the rest of the gang are fighting some kind of tentacle demon thing that's coming. If I remember but correctly, it's it's all just background to his story. Yes, it's kind of comical. And he's like, "Is there anything I can do?" They're like, "No, Xander, I can't protect you right now." Meanwhile, he, like, diffuses a bomb with a ghost or, you know, or whatever. He gets up to a lot of malarkey. So much goes on. And has on sex. And has sex. And he literally saves his own life and other people's. But, you know. I can't believe I had sex. But his questionable usefulness. Right. Especially in the face of a girl with superpowers. Right. Comes in right from go. And he's like, Willow's got her research power. Oh. She's so good at that. And I'm, you know, what do I do? What do I contribute let's go to that okay we touched on this in another episode but it's back it's the late 90s what's the internet and they're talking about being able to find like tunnels underneath of sunnydale and then willow goes well there might be another way to get this information because they're talking about like going to the public works building yes and she's like i might be able to figure it out and they cut to hold us on the suspense of the moment they go and have a scene with the master and then they come back <laughs> and she's like with the computer i can figure out things with the computer and you're that... really having a moment here you're like oh my god not only that they did it but that they held on it like you wait we're gonna tell you about this like secret power she's got boom it's the computer that's right what? yeah did yeah. we blow your minds I know that that's just time has added to that scene. And Definitely. And not the way they planned. Definitely. But yeah, so her value to the what became known as the Scooby Gang was presented right away. Meanwhile, Charisma Carpenter as Cordelia, who, Joss Whedon has said, no, he didn't retell the story of Buffy from vapid teen to hero in the TV series because she had already had her experiences before coming in. Right. Which I thought was a good way to start a show. Yes. Instead of just starting from scratch, that can get tedious, especially when it's already the title, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's like, get to it. Slay vampires. It's in the title. We know yeah. what's going to happen. Stop right. dragging your feet. Right. So she comes in already having had experiences and needs a little convincing along the way. 
but Cordelia over several seasons and then continued in Angel, he cites her journey as being the start from vapid and shallow teenage girl to hero. And Charisma Carpenter is so absolutely quintessentially like the mean snarky girl who's like not only heartbreakingly shockingly gorgeous but she's also got a real sharp mean wit about her like Mm. she's not stupid so she really knows how to like make fun of you like willow glad to see you you found the softer side of sears oh it's so mean oh and the other thing that i loved when watching the pilot with commentary was there's a moment when jesse who is the kind of like marion crane casey becker of the story who joss introduces you think he's gonna be exactly you think he's gonna be an integral part and they kill him he's like you want to dance and cordelia goes with you and he goes well uh yeah she goes well uh no Joss, in the commentary, he's like, the whole, you want to dance, and a girl saying, with you, he's like, that was from my life. He was like, that happened to me in high school. He said, he said, and I basically slunk away into a dark hole for about four years. And he goes on to say, you know, Buffy is about... He can cash his next million dollar check, and still it'll be like, with you. Exactly. And he says, he's like, the reason that the show resonates with not just young girls is because... Nobody ever really gets over high school, mm. you know? So You can compartmentalize it. Sure, of course. Uh, Those scars. You can the... build off of it. Yeah. But you don't forget it's it. It's always with you. Yeah. That's disturbing. You're emotionally scarred and will end up badly. I also never thought about it, but Joss describes the library as the Batcave. I never thought of it that way. Sure. But like, yeah. yeah, why not? They go there and they have long conversations about what they're going to fight and how they're going to fight it. I just, like, right before you came over, watched the Harvest commentary. Mm-hmm. And at the end, the final scene where they're all just sort of post-adventure walking through the outdoor hallways of a California high school. Mm-hmm. Which we've all seen, but personally, we've never experienced. We, right. We, we came from places with indoor hallways. Yes. But also was the high school they filmed Beverly Hills 90210 at and right. lots of other things as well. I mean, the dead roads. We should at least have an assembly. People have a tendency to rationalize what they can and... Forget what they can't. Believe me, I've seen it happen. Well, I'll never forget it. None of it. Good. Next time you'll be prepared. Next time? Next time is why? Well, we prevented the master from freeing himself and opening the mouth of hell. Not to say he's going to stop trying. That's the fun. It's just beginning. So they're walking along. They're now sort of a cohesive unit. Scooby gang. Scooby gang. They've made friends. And <laughs> I thought maybe I had remembered it wrong. When earlier there was Giles just sort of taking books off the shelf saying like, well, not only vampires, there's Incubi, succubi. Incubi, succubi, zombies. I was like, maybe I just remember that part. I don't remember a super cheesy ending where he basically sets up, you know, more sexy and exciting adventures. In the commentary, Joss Whedon says like, "Ah, I get a little kick about how excited he seems about all the monsters, (sighs) which is a character trait. He is an academic for whom monsters would be like a, Ooh, monsters. Mm -hmm. I've never seen one of these demons before. I've only read about them. Exactly. But I have then and now only seen it as just like almost talking right to the audience, being like, join us next week. (laughs) Because I think the next week was like witches. And then like the following, you know, and then like a giant praying mantis and then like an invisible girl in the school and then zombies and, and all that stuff. You know, it wasn't just vampires. Right. So it's like, okay, 
I know it's called Vampire Slayer. You but... can't see this, but Marshall is miming holding books in one arm. Oh, yeah, yeah. As though he is Giles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you were even conscious of the fact you were doing that. I wasn't. I was, it's I was really cute. gesturing with only my left arm. Yeah, yeah. As he pleads to the audience, join us next week. Come back. For zombies and got werewolves. more for you. <laughs> as, as he just runs down the sexy and exciting adventures. I need to and watch I... that again with that in mind. And thank goodness there's a little more banter and it just sort of like they're back to being carefree teens for a little bit. And he just goes, the world is doomed. <laughs> and it ends on that. I'm like, oh, thank God you didn't just leave me with the taste of that mini commercial in my yeah. mouth. Yeah. And no, then... that's a beautiful moment. Touch the fire and it freezes me. I look into it and it's black. Why can't I feel my skin should crack and peel? I want the fire back. Now through the smoke she calls to me to make my way across the listening and you don't know the arc of the entire series of Buffy, I'm going to spoil it, or rather just the end, which is at the end of the series, Buffy is able to kind of like imbue the powers of the Slayer into a lot of girls. All the potential Slayers become full-fledged Slayers. And there's this kind of torch passing that is one of my favorite endings to any television show and I actually have goosebumps thinking about it of like you have the power the power is in you you're a slayer you can be strong and amazing and fight evil and all of that and I in many ways the torch passing for me happened watching the movie and even just watching the pilot of the show like I didn't even necessarily need the end of the show to tell me hey cat you're you, you cat you're cool. watching this on TV yeah. in North Carolina in 1997. You have the power to do anything you want to do and you can fight the forces of evil, whatever those may be. And that's what the show meant to me. And you know the movie did that for me to a certain extent and the show did it in a much more deep and long-lasting way, but I'm so thankful to have had it. I'm so thankful that we got to sit down and talk about it because oh, yeah. it's been so important to me, and I love knowing that you were into it. At the, I, I can't believe we never talked about the fact that you were into it at the time. I think you just assume I watch everything. No. And, and therefore, I no. must just watch it also. No, I never thought about it. Oh. But I'm so happy for Buffy being a thing that exists. I love it. And I'm sure that there are people listening who are like nodding along because if I were listening to this, I would be like, yes, yes, it meant everything to me. And it still does. And watching episodes of the show and watching the, still watching the movie, it's like coming home again. And I'm glad we finally made it around to here after five years of doing the podcast because I think the horror landscape as it is today and pop culture and all of that wouldn't be what it is without Buffy.
Joss has made such a mark with this show. They left his show. footprint. Yeah. And if not in a way you can really recognize and point to and be like, well, she wouldn't be doing that if not for Buffy. Or even he wouldn't be doing that if not for Buffy. Or they wouldn't be combining pop culture and horror if not for Buffy. It changed what we could expect, you know. Yeah. Out of something. Oh, 100%. It gave us something fresh and new in the same sense. I mean, you brought it, up it, Scream. It, it, yeah. The, the kind of thing where you just, your brain, it's getting massaged with like, wait, wait, wait. So this is happening in the same episode. This is happening? Like, what? It's this weird thing yeah, that, well, and, you know, and it's and hard it started, to know how to sell. It got a lot of mileage out of its novelty. And now it's no longer a novelty. It's just a thing that is now... In the pantheon of so many other things. The idea of having the not just female, but young female and not butch female or masculine female, but a feminine female with great strengths fighting things that most people can't is no longer the novelty that was the hook for the original idea. But rather now it's one way to do it because it's been proven. Yeah. Do we have to chat about it all day? We could go on and on. Yeah. But we'd like to hear what you have to say, good people. And it always tickles us when we get a little bit of information from you out there in the world. Yeah, what's your Buffy anecdote? How did you find the show? Is there a great story about like bonding with somebody that you still are close with today that started from Buffy? Or do you just want to talk about, you know, anything horror-related? Just shoot us a message in our Gmail, which is boysandghouls at gmail.com. Boysandghouls at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram. Marshall's Facebook. over on Pinterest. We're on Facebook. Just reach out wherever. And you know what would make Cat's day? You know, there are people younger than us out there in the what? world. What? And there's a whole section of people who have heard of but never really checked out. Oh, God, I would die. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Who, Please. If you listen to this and then based on this and got all the way into this, I don't know why you would, and then said, you know what? I'm going to check out that Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let us know. Specifically, let Kat know. I would be shocked, but I would also be very thankful to know that. The idea that she'd pass the torch. Oh, that, it's to a, a torch that really should be passed. She'd just be walking on air after yeah. that one. But do you have a, another bit of advice for all of our listeners? I, I do, Marshall. All right, hold on. Okay, hit me with it. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.